And that was Bob Zimmer, the MP for Prince George Peace River. Make sure to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup. Welcome back to episode 26 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by Bob Zimmer, the MP for Prince George Peace River, and special guest Paul. Well, thank you for being here, everyone. It's great to have all of you. Good to be here. All right, well, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Are you asking Paul or are you asking me? I thought you said Paul. Oh, me, me and Paul are co-hosting. <laughs> okay, so I, yeah, um... So a little bit about myself. So I uh, was born in Dawson Creek, Northern British Columbia. Um, born and raised. Eventually uh, became uh, was a tradesman for a while. I uh, wanted to play rugby for Canada, so I went down to the Lower Main to play rugby, and eventually got two degrees and coached a university team. And uh, eventually got involved. Well, I was involved in politics all the way through as a voter, but uh, got more seriously involved in politics at university and. Um, was what 2004 about uh, seven years later here i am so that's the long and the short of it well why did you want to get into politics well uh people ask me that all the time how did you get involved and it really was just i'm just a fairly normal guy that just you know didn't like what i was seeing in ottawa some of the misspending of some of the tax dollars that are collected and um Believe me, once you become a taxpayer, I think it was when I was 19, I had made $30,000 in six months as a carpenter, and 10000 of that went into income tax. It starts to make you pay more attention to how they spend your money. And so that's really what got, got me more serious. My family had always been involved sort of in politics. The social credit out here in BC was a big deal. Um, my uncles were involved in that and my parents and stuff. But when I really got involved was... Um, around 03, I uh, was in university and I thought, you know, I need to take this a bit more serious and just, you know, beyond just putting up some signs on people's lawns, but mm-hmm. get more involved. And then pretty soon I was, I was living in Abbotsford at the time going to school. So um, got involved with their ADA with Randy White was the MP of that. Ed Fast was another director with me at the time. And then the rest is uh, sort of history. I moved back up to the north. Well, sorry, I became vice president of that riding without trying really hard. And then came up to the north and was vice president, soon president of the riding. And people started asking me, well, when are you going to run? Because our MP was about to step down. So that's kind of a an accelerated version of what happened there. But I uh, just really just cared about our country. Uh, I became an MP. It sounds corny, but it was to make a difference. It was that simple. And I still... I believe that today that's my my main purpose no that's great thanks um so what are some of the trudeau government's successes and failures in, in handling this other COVID 19 pandemic yeah i think you know i think all efforts uh you know politically uh, or criticisms aside i think uh they they tried i mean uh i hope that they were trying in good faith to really help our citizens um but seeing it from the inside, really see how many mistakes were made early on, too. I was shadow minister for Northern Affairs when it really all broke last March. And uh, we were, you know, wanting to ensure that Indigenous communities in the North were, you know, safe, uh, had the proper PPE that was required. If there was an outbreak, what was going to happen? Sort of all these plans we were trying to get laid out. And then we saw how sort of ill-planned, ill, uh, you know, they had sort of seen the future in terms of PPE alone, like masks and simple things like gowns and 
isolation tents and things like that. Uh, really poor planning and poor access to some of this stuff. So we really saw firsthand how uh, ill-equipped they were to take it on, and then it just got worse from there. And then we talk about vaccines and vaccinations and all the rest of that and procuring that. It's really been a disaster, and we're hearing just even today the AstraZeneca, uh, basically that vaccine. There's some questions about it regarding um, the health of, of Canadians. So I, I believe it's uh, nobody under 55 is to take it currently. So, yeah, just a lot of... They seemingly are doing it uh, just, you know, shooting from the hip. They're, they don't seem to have a real good strategy or getting really good advice on how to do this. And I think that's what's alarming. Most of us in BC were under another increased lockdown just announced yesterday. And it all comes back to that access to vaccines and, and getting our folks vaccinated. So if we can't do that, we can't get back to normal. That's pretty simple. And they've done a real poor job of getting us back to normal. So speaking about vaccines, we've we've really suffered in, in uh, getting our population vaccinated. So what mm -hmm. do you think the government could have done differently to to improve the vaccine rollout? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think first of all, it would have been having that ability to make vaccines in our own country, um, have that established early on, and that's a hard thing. You know, people can speculate that we should have had that before. We should have. Um, would a government have known to do that before the crisis? Uh, the hope would be that the responsibility of the health minister would be prepared for that so we had the capacity. Um, and then during as the crisis rolled out, uh, we saw the procurement was just kind of scattered. It was getting it from here, getting it from there. Uh, we weren't, there was money going to, to, to supposedly establish that capacity in Canada. We're finding out that that really wasn't the case. It wasn't uh, a lot of money that was spent to build capacity in Canada. Just, uh, it just didn't happen. So uh, I think what I would have liked to have seen is, is really that capacity built before this so we could produce our own. Um, and one more point to that is some of these, you know, the, the vaccine makers, um, we could have manufactured them if we were given the license to do so in Canada. Um, and was that pursued? We're seeing from the government that they didn't pursue some of those options. Um, so anyway, I think it was just this haphazard, it seemed, uh, way to go about delivering uh, vaccines to our country, you know, uh, sort of hoping, uh, hoping that certain things would work without really knowing that it would work. And I think Canadians need to be reassured more. It can't just be you're, you're kind of throwing the Hail Mary pass and hopefully it lands and hopefully the receiver catches the ball. We need to do do a lot better to make sure our plans are actually going to work. Hmm. Now, just to, coming back to, to the COVID and how Justin Trudeau's handle it, you, you look at what, when he first started to, when Bill Morneau was the finance minister, when they CERB was just starting to get take speed right how in the they yeah. tried sneaking in unlimited spending into the bill but but thanks to andrew sure that was taken out as well as the other opposition parties how, do you think justin trudeau's taken advantage of the governments and how his powers during covid a hundred percent we're seeing even just the way they've spent money um we're we're looking normally i'll, I'll take you back a little bit is uh when we were in government between 2015 and oh, sorry 2011 2015 we saw the infrastructure money i saw it actually landing on the ground with projects 
you know, this bridge is getting built, uh, this road is getting fixed, you know, a bunch of those dollars were actually getting spent. We could see it. Now we're seeing huge debts being incurred, huge spending amounts going out the door. And I'm just not seeing infrastructure getting built in my riding, that's for sure. Uh, you know, other than there's other infrastructure, but it's provincial or it's something else with no federal dollars attached. So my concern is that once we get on the other side of this, with all the billions of dollars getting spent, uh, I think we're going to be very surprised about where that money landed. And we're seeing some of it even with the contracts to SNC Lavin as an example. As an example, how does SNC Lavin get uh, sole source contracts after all the problems that they've had? How does that still even happen? And the, the SNC Lavin connections to the Liberal government. How is that company getting any? taxpayer how is it getting one cent of taxpayer money uh you tell me so i think we're going to see at the end of this that the the debt that's being incurred by this government's a lot bigger than they're saying i think it's going to come out probably after the next election they're trying to probably hide that as much as they can and then some of the misspending is going to come to light too Uh, Mm -hmm. you know we've seen it even padding pockets of liberal friends and liberal donors um i think we've just scratched the surface of that and we'll see a lot more coming post-election sure you definitely can tell that he's he's he just does he never he just lies to the canadian people and canadians are are so quick to to believe him like you you use catherine mckenna for example who who's lost billions of dollars or millions i believe in infrastructure money and again last week i believe she failed to to meet her audit with the with the uh with the i believe it was the auditor general for parliament Mm -hmm. It, twice now that she's lost millions of insur- infrastructure money that's probably gone to liberal insiders with without check where do you think that her spending should almost come in and in, into play with, with justin trudeau well i think all of us we have a, an obligation to whoever you are whether you're a liberal you know whatever party you're part of uh, you know, the spending that we need to be very responsible for and cognizant that it comes from real taxpayers' back pockets. So uh, they should be held to the highest standard. Uh, if they can't, you know, provide simple questions to be answered or answers to the questions from the Auditor General, uh, then there's something wrong, and especially when you're talking about a minister or ministers. Um, we scandal is just another thing where the just scratching the surface on all of that and a colleague of mine um, as you probably are watching on uh, ethics committee uh, Michael Barrett just about you know all the sort of the money where it's going or where it's gone and you know that's just one situation just imagine that times a thousand where this government's spending money you know how it just begs when when they're not this is a government who's been already, there's been two Trudeau reports already. I was chair of ethics. We did, I think I was there for two of them. Uh, here's a government that's not really good about being honest and not really good about being responsible. And they're just keeping on doing what they've always done. I think they're just trying to find more clever ways to hide it. And now they have, instead of just having millions to spend, they have billions. So I don't have a lot of, confidence that they're doing the right thing all of a sudden they're doing the right thing now with all this extra money it's probably gotten worse like i said but uh we just canadians need to change as soon as possible that's all i can say mm, for sure get this country of ours going back in the right direction again yeah thank you
Okay, so uh, has the government done enough to address the side effects of COVID nineteen preventative measures such as lockdowns, etc.? Um, some of the some of the some of the side effects include a high rate of depression, mm-hmm. suicide, uh, spousal abuse, overdoses, mm-hmm. alcohol abuse, etc. Yeah. So how has the government done enough to to address the side effects as long as along with the uh, preventative measures of COVID? Yeah, well, that's the some of the concern is there's an old saying is that cure worse than the disease right uh some of the cure uh, lockdowns and people you know the suicide rates are high uh up in, or over in province of bc we have uh, opioid cri- opioid crisis it's been going on for a while but it's really uh, gotten a lot larger in the last year and why is that because people have money they're also at home alone and getting probably more uh, distraught with the situation that they're in um it brings us back to the initial conversation around being vac- having access to vaccines. And that having access to vaccines is equal to having access to our normal lives back again. And the longer that we're in this prolonged lockdown, because we don't have access to those vaccinations, uh, this is going to persist. So, it, I mean, Michelle Rample's our healthcare critic. She's been really critical of, of the health minister and not having a good plan in, uh, in place to really tackle COVID. And I think Michelle's spot on. Uh, you know, how can other countries like Israel, uh, you know, other countries around the world just be, just about be out of this on the other end, uh, getting back to almost complete normalcy? Well, Canada could have been there too. And why aren't we there today? Well, it's because this government has uh, bungled the the COVID situation. Um, you know, we want this government to do a good job and we want them to get the vaccines out to Canadians. Uh, believe us, we, we want to get back to normal. Uh, but again, unfortunately, this government's uh, uh, made a mess of it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my next question for you, Bob, is what type of conservative would you describe yourself as and why? Uh... I usually, well, I'd call myself social conservative. That was the common uh, term, I think, because I support, you know, uh, sort of the social conservative uh, point of view. But I I think I'm glad you asked it that way, because I don't know, some of those, that terminology, um, it might be something to look at to, you know, what what would a a more 2021 uh, version of that, what what would that sound like? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think because there's many issues now that I'm dealing with a big issue right now in BC called the BC public fishery and trying to support it. But we do, there's a, there's a term that we're using called environmental stewardship. And so, you know, conservatives are great at conservation and doing things like that, but we often don't get credit for it. Uh, These are real environmentalists in action. They're actually going along the streams and, you know, making them healthy again for salmon spawning and that kind of thing. So I think, there's probably a new label that I would, you know, that I would uh, care about, uh, you know, that, that would, I would say that would illustrate other c- concerns just other than uh, social concerns mm. around uh, the conservative movement, right? I care about balanced budgets. I care about all the rest of that. So I would probably say social conservative, but I would add some other taglines on there. 
Yeah, for sure. Just because hey. it, it kind of it puts us in a silo that I don't think is accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you never really look at like what, what news sources say, like the Toronto Star, CBC, there's blue and red Tories, fiscal, mm-hmm. moderate. There, there's a lot of components, right, to a, to a conservative. There's, there's the fiscal, there there's abortion is, is one, taxes, spending. Yep. There's all these different – you almost have to balance all of them, right? Like you have to – do I like this? Do I like that? Do I support this? Do the people of my writing like or want this? Right. Where, right. where do you think that those, what do you think qualities do you think it's important to have as an MP? Uh, well, it, it's, uh, it's, I think qualities as a human being, you know, being honest with somebody, being forthright, being kind, um, you know, what you'd expect a person to be in leadership. If you'd expect our neighbor to be to you, what would you expect them to be? Somebody that would, uh, you know, work hard. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll say getting back to your original question about, um, cause you referred to, you know, red Tories and, and that sort of, you know, it just came to me when you were asking it really conservative defines this, so well if you just look at that term uh, even getting back to what I was talking about conservation and environmental stewardship um, if you look at what conservatives predominantly support you know I think that's a good place that a lot of us would land mm-hmm. uh, and and I guess I would ask you back because you know you're young guys and you're conservatives obviously um, but I know even the conservative brand for a younger person may not be understood what does that actually mean and then the other side has done such a great job of making us look like we're not great people mm-hmm. um, you know I think we need to be able to say that in about 30 seconds what is a conservative what does a conservative look like and because I'll tell you one situation so I had uh, an election ago I had a young guy come up to my office it was right during the campaign and uh, he says well you know I'm not voting conservative I'm not voting conservative or anything i'm not gonna i'm not conservative but i'm just looking for the the place to turn in my ballot and i said well i think it's just down the road and uh then we started talking about things i said well you know what do you care about well i care about that the money that the government's spending is you know spent right and that we do this and we do that and i said well the more that you sound like it the more you sound like you're conservative and i thought well there's the problem right there or some a part of the problem is that uh, the left has done such a good job of making us look like bad, you know, like, uh, like bad guys mm-hmm. that we have to really work to say, uh, you know, what are the positive aspects about being a conservative? You know, we care about the environment. We care about yeah. people's rights. We care about data rights for people. We care about privacy for people on the Internet. And we need to do a better job about saying what we're for and mm. uh, give that hopeful message. What, you know, being part of a conservative party is actually uh, – you know, giving Canadians hope. And uh, again, we need need to just do a better job of explaining that. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking for myself, I, I'm I'm a social and, and fiscal conservative. I can't speak for Paul. Paul, if you want to elaborate as well, but I, I'm all for lower taxes. I'm 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 pro life mostly with, with the exception of with the exception of, of rape and incest cases. I I believe in balanced budgets. I, I'm really for the, the working and the middle class. And it's just those qualities, right, that you're explaining that, that makes you conservative is that 
you, yeah. you really like to go into detail and even the left is you're right has gone really far as to label us is almost i get called fascist a lot of the time right and which is really very very far and it goes to yeah. show how uneducated and, and irresponsible the left has gone but paul if you want to elaborate it as well sure so i think i think the conservative title as a whole it's a big tent right the left mm-hmm. cares about city like what skin color are you we don't mm-hmm. we don't really care about that yeah. right where you come from what do you think and we're a big tent ideologically i would end yeah. up further to the right on that side i'm very socially conservative fiscally conservative mm-hmm. um but i think i think especially because the left is going so far to the left that we can yeah. take a lot of liberals common sense liberals and say hey we're a big party we, yeah. we care about diversity of, of ide- ideology so you're welcome here right exactly That that's what uh, I think, again, what you just, you know, you talked about the big tent part of it. There's quite, a, I call it a conservative spectrum. We have all the way from, I have members, uh, you know, we have members in the conservative party that, uh, you know, go all the way from being, you know, strong social conservative all the way to the, you know, to the left aspect where they're socially liberal, but they're fiscally conservative, but they're still strong conservatives. So, mm-hmm. You know, we have that big tent, and I think that's not always understood by people, that diversity that's really within our party. Um, and, again, the branding that's often thrown at us, and you, you mentioned it, you know, where somebody calls you a bad name, uh, you know, you name the names, they'll call conservatives that. And mm-hmm. uh, it just isn't true. You know, we care about people. We care about our country. And I think that's what we need to do is to stick. Uh, we, we have a saying in my office, we, you know, uh, kill people with kindness. You know, just be kind beyond whatever is happening to you. Just be kind back. You know, and mm-hmm. I think eventually uh, people will see that and notice that. Hey, these folks are just hoping what's good for Canada and really trying to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. We just have to, you know, kind of, you know, sticks and stones. They'll get thrown at us, but just keep doing what we're doing and mm-hmm. always remember to be kind to people and always be helpful and do our best for our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking for myself, I'm not. I'm definitely not one to, to back down from a debate with a with a liberal. I'm, I'm sure this is the same for Paul as well. But it, it's yeah. it's really interesting because because you go and well, they call you fascist or a Nazi or, or a white supremacist or something like that, and it's well, well why do you think that? Well, they just walk away, right? Because they they have no explanation. They can't further almost talk and, and explain their yeah. their their view on that. And it's like. Yeah, yeah, like it's your your point right there, right? They walk away, they don't want to talk about it. They they just shut down. Yeah. The key is is to just be kind back because you know they're looking to provoke you to prove what they're saying about you is true, even though it's untrue. So just prove them wrong, right? Just be kind and you know just demonstrate that we care about people and we really want the best for them. For sure, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, back to the pandemic, like what testing has has been a problem for us, right? Like we mm-hmm. we know that there's rapid testing kits. Like, what do you think would be like a better way to to implement a testing program? Do you mm-hmm. think that that's federal, or or should it be should it be left to the provinces? In Manitoba, they're procuring their own vaccine. The provinces seem to be much more capable of handling the pandemic than the federal government right now. Yeah, I think as as sort of the government shows its incompetence in some of this stuff, then the provinces are going out and trying to, to establish that themselves. And I don't blame their leaders at all for doing that. 
uh, you know, then they're again, they're trying to get back to normal. I think what should have happened right off the start was to have rapid tests, you know, so at least some of these, you know, as an example, uh, you know, before you fly into an indigenous community in the north, rapid tests, everybody gets tested on the plane that flies up there. Somebody that shows a positive, well, they're left back here, so it really limits that spread, right? Um, there's many things that could have been done that weren't. I mean, I remember seeing Bill Blair get up in the house daily talking about how test, not testing, but uh, how, oh, what was it again? How the screening is going on in our airports in Canada. And I was flying through airports every week, twice a week, no testing. Nothing happened for at least six months. And then finally, we're getting the, the you get screened or scanned on your forehead for temperature and stuff. But that happened you know, six to eight months after Blair was saying, being completely dishonest with Canadians, what was actually happening in those airports. Um, so what they needed to do was, first of all, do what they say they were doing, and then also provide access to those rapid testing and a real strategy around it. Like, just like you asked me, how do you use these things effectively so we can limit the spread and that we can get back to normal as soon as possible? Should have been tied into rapid testing, while we're waiting for vaccinations, vaccines to be available, and then provide vaccines as soon as possible. It was a really simple strategy and should have been figured out by these guys. And, and they told us they have it, but they simply were seeing proof that they didn't. Mm -hmm. So I have a question foreign policy related. Yeah. Um, big for the youth seem to be the, the genocide of Uyghur Muslims in China. And and mm -hmm. all our, our liberal activists, every single day, they'd post on their social media, this is what's happening. Sometimes it was false, like just exaggerated stories about how bad it is, right? And then the Conservative Party recognized that something something truly evil and immoral is going on and we need to do something about it. Yeah. And then the progressives who were saying something about it, radio silence, because the Liberal government um, the really moving. We saw um, a, a survivor of the genocide camp, mm -hmm. and the Trudeau government turned their back on the survivors and didn't even bother to show up for the vote. So, how do we think we can go to the youth? Because that was a huge issue for you. So, how yeah. can we say, "Listen, we we did something about it, and this is why you should vote for us"? Well, in fairness, too, to a lot of their backbench members, that was a free vote, and they were the backbenchers were allowed to vote, and they voted. Uh, the Liberal backbenchers voted to support that, uh, the genocide motion that we had had in voted with us. Uh, I think the sad part was that their cabinet uh, just simply was absent. And, uh, you know, that was the troubling part. And I understand it's a very difficult situation when you're, you know, a big uh, country that China is and we trade the ramifications of that vote. I'm sure we are still going to feel because... Know, trade and we felt it just with uh, retaining of the Huawei executive we saw billions in dollars in agriculture uh, ramifications to our ag sector many other sectors based on just that one situation so the fact that we've called what they're doing genocide I'm sure that's going to be too so I understand the, the challenge of the government but getting back to what you had asked about uh, yeah we were very disappointed that the cabinet could could not, did not uh, support our call to label it a genocide. And just like a follow-up, right? History, history kind of repeats itself. I find, right? Mm -hmm. So, before World War One, the, the the idea was appeasement, right? We don't want to start another war. That's going to hurt us too much. And then, then, 
then what happened because the 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 Nazi regime saw, thought they could do whatever they want, and so you they mean had, World they War Two? Yeah, World War Two. Yeah. This is just after World War One, right? They mm-hmm. they were scared like we don't want another world war. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of repeating itself, right? Instead of like in, in our our soldiers, it's hurting our wallets. So mm-hmm. well, clearly, right? Would you agree that that we need to do everything in our power to stop the genocide? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Uh, when we see that evidence, what they're doing to the Uyghur uh, Muslim population in China. Uh, I think that's what should keep us up at night is by not doing something, you know, that uh, history has been, uh, once that 2020 of what's going on has been realized, uh, I just, I can't imagine being somebody in World War II sort of waking up and finally realizing what they had been a part of in, uh, you know, in, in, uh, uh, in Germany specifically to do uh, with the, the Jewish population there. Uh, what a the wish we should have done something sooner uh, must have torn many of them apart once they realized what they'd have been a part of. So uh, we have that opportunity to change direction now. Uh, we're seeing some of those things that are happening uh, around this situation, and that's why you know it was very obvious to us we have to do something, and that's why we stood up and supported that call to label that genocide. We need to do something while we can help now coming coming back to the the left i want to use uh, one one figure as an example i want to use donald trump as, as that example but you look they, they called them homophobic they they called them you know, white supremacist a nationalist a fascist they compared him to hitler and it's completely untrue right because he he loves people of color he's condemned white supremacy more times then I could probably count right. I've I've watched the interviews. I've I've seen him condemn white supremacy and and racism, and it, it's unbelievable how far people will go to to label conservatives and and um, social conservatives as well as these bad terrible people like like Nazis. Like like it's unbelievable how far people will go to to hurt someone like that. Yeah, I think again we just have to. We're fighting a battle with media often about uh, these kind of situations. They're trying to label us a certain way, and we just can't uh, feed into their labeling of us. And mm. just, again, we just have to be better. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been in this, uh, you know, just about 10 years as a member of parliament. Um, and I've seen, you know, the media, when it, it doesn't want to support you, it does all it can sometimes to uh, to defeat you. And we just ultimately it's a battle to uh to have that conversation with the voter an honest conversation about what we really are Mm -hmm. and so that's what i just try and do whenever i can you know the media is not going to change so the national media is not going to change what it's doing so we still have to find a way to be successful uh, despite what they're doing so Mm -hmm. then we just you know we connect with voters all the time on a one-on-one level where it's uh, watching a Facebook post of ours or where it's uh, talking to somebody in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have to show them we are not who that national media says we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have to prove it. And it's a lot of work to do that because, you know, we, we need to have high standards and keep to those standards. And uh, I think once people really see who we are, I think that's why we can be so successful is when they see what we're really trying to do is good for Canada. Mm-hmm. That's where I think 
it's going to go the next election. That's why I think we're going to do well in 2021. For sure. Just as the uh, the last question, you, you look at the the weeks prior to COVID during the all those illegal blockades across Canada the, the, against Coastal Gas Link, and you were one of the the front runners of the party during the committees questioning the uh, the Indigenous leaders and and the uh, chiefs. Right. Yeah. You look at the Carolyn Bennett, who was I I wouldn't really call a counterpart. She didn't really do anything on her end at all. Um, where do you think that the that the Liberals went wrong during the Coastal Gas Link blockades? Well, I think I think it's more than I don't know if they would call it wrong. I'll, I'll label it the way I would label it. When you we had I had relationships with some of the Wet'suwet'en uh, hereditary chiefs themselves and actual Wet'suwet'en people on the ground who told me unequivocally that at least eighty to eighty-five percent of people within the Wet'suwet'en supported the project. Mm-hmm. That's almost a hundred percent, you know, pretty close. So when Carolyn Bennett and Justin Trudeau, when they go out and actually negotiate and go out there supposedly to have a conversation, the only people they talk to are the ones that oppose the project. That is deliberate, uh, you know, misinformation uh, to the Canadian public, giving people the the impression that, you know, you know, the entire Wet'suwet'en uh, people are against the project. That's just utterly false. So to me, it's it's not just incompetence; it's deliberate um, um, misdirection. Uh, because you know, Teresa Tate Day was uh, is a hereditary chief of the Wet'suwet'en. I actually had her come out and testify before a committee. That's maybe what you're referring to in the questions yeah. around it. Very clearly laid out how the people support that project. Yes, they have their challenges, and not everybody supports everything, of course. Mm. But when the government goes out there and only talks to the people opposed to the project, it's a setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to say that, that this project shouldn't go. Even though they talk, uh, Minister Reagan says, we're all for natural resource projects, uh, I'd just say baloney they are. Uh, if they were actually for natural resource projects, they'd be defending, they'd be fighting with uh, President Biden on shutting down uh, Keystone. They'd be, and that's what I questioned him on last week, are you really fighting for our resource sector? Well, mm-hmm. they're not. They're pretending to, but they're not. Behind the scenes, they're they're throwing spokes in the wheels of, of everything. Uh, you know, you know. Imagine a project trying to get going, and this government throws everything at it to get it to stop. Mm, for sure. So um, that's unfortunate because, but that's their game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really want to shut this stuff down. And that's what I hope Canadians see through all this. That they'll say, look, this guy. It's a, they're obviously being uh, dishonest about it. And we want somebody there that supports our, our people. We want people that uh, government that supports Canadians and our natural resource sector because it provides roofs over heads and meals on tables. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, I'd like to, to thank you for all your time today, Bob. It was really great to have you here. And I hope that we could do this again. And I also wanted to, sure. to thank you, Paul, as well, for co-hosting with me today. Thank you, mm-hmm. Paul. And thank you, Aiden. And wish you guys the best. And hopefully we'll actually meet in person someday. For sure. Thanks, Bob. Have a great thank day. You. Take care, you guys. Thanks again. And that was Bob Zimmer, the MP for Prince George Peace River. Make sure to tune in on the next episode of Conservative Roundup.